We're happy to have John Wiggins this morning again. And I don't know that he's ever told us what he does for a living, except for that he used a couple of words one time that was like in a game on the way to work. You were A, B, C, and you were coming up with words, and it was like, that's not my vocabulary. But I was sitting here thinking about the the correlation between what he does and us sitting here in church. I go to his office. He's a chiropractor. And he says, lay on this table. And he wraps me up like a pretzel. And then he puts all his weight on me. (laughs) Feels like it. Feels like it. And then he says, you have to relax. You have to breathe. You have to relax. And I'm wondering if sometimes God is saying to us, we're all here willingly, like I go to his office. Well, most of the time it's willingly. And we're here on our own. We're not forced. But are we absorbing what is presented to us? Or do we need to stop and say, wait a minute, does what I think line up with what this is? That's our, that's our biggest challenge. So, this morning, we're going to pray for John and turn him loose. You brought me something to drink? Just water. Oh, just water. I'm trying to keep it out of my toes away. <laughs> Father, thank you for this day, for the many blessings you give us, and for this opportunity for John to share with us again this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and help us to to hear and to be able to apply what he has to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. One of the, probably the most difficult things is, um, I don't really get nervous speaking with you guys, but one of the most difficult things is to, when the Lord takes something that's ordinary and turns it into extraordinary, something you guys have all heard before. And So when I say it, you're like, well, I've heard that verse. But he's, he's, put it he's turned it in a way that it's become extraordinary to me and I have this this angst or this like almost nervousness that I'll speak and you won't get it like I get it you know there's lots of verses that and I'm guilty of this at times but you hear it and you'll think you know I've heard that verse a thousand times um, I just was speaking with a lady in the back and we said yeah just because you hear a verse once doesn't mean there's, there's always something new to get from it. Even going back from Genesis, which I recently did, start all the way back and read through, and I'm like, how did I miss that the first 50 times that I read it? Um, but before we get into all this, I want to do a couple of, uh, I guess, task keepings or whatever. Um, first of all, um, maybe I won't do that one. Yeah, so we'll, we, when we spoke last time, I felt like I got ahead of myself. And, and so I know a lot, of, a lot of you in here, and many of you I don't, but um, I think we're obligated to a degree to go back once in a while and just check the spiritual status of everybody. Don't assume something. And so we'll do that a little bit today, and then that will kind of point back to what I just talked about. Many of you will know this and say, well, I've been there, I'm good, or whatever, and check out, and I don't want you to do that. If you fall asleep, I will call you out. So look for your gold nugget. God's got you here today. Nothing else matters. 
Don't check your phones. Just be here and look for what God wants you to carry out. Secondly, we have to address this haircut. So I have really curly hair. I've shaved, shaved it for 23, 23 years. Decided that it was sticking out on the sides and I'd cut it. Well, if you're my friend and I hang out with you and I decide I need to tell a joke, guess what? You get the joke told about you. Um, so I got razzed a little bit yesterday about having done this. And so it reminded me of a verse I want to read in Second Kings. This is about Elisha. So a bunch of kids are following Elisha, and they say, go on up, you bald head. They said, go on up, you bald head. He turned around and looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths, and he went on to Mount Carmel from there he to Samaria. Just saying. Be careful. <laughs> so, anywho, now that we've laughed together, we can move on. You guys did me an absolute blessing this morning. Um, I didn't know if I was full of joy or wanted to cry or what it was, but God has, I talked last time with you about how he puts a song on my heart and, and I kind of use that as my judge, I, my, kind of my scale. Where's my heart at? If I'm out in the shop or I'm working on the mower and something comes into my mind and it's not of the Lord, it's not pleasing or it's just neutral, um, then I know that I need to push him in there more. And the song that I have just, I mean, my poor goat has listened to this song while I'm milking her more times than she should, but it's How Great Thou Art. And I know God's asking me to learn the rest of the verses because I just start the first verse over and over and over. But I was so eager to get here this morning and hear you guys sing it. I didn't even sing it. I just listened to you guys. And so you've blessed me. But let me go back to the first verse um, just because I want you to hear the words. I mean, I, I, I thought this morning the guy who wrote this, Got it. He gets what I want you to get this morning. It says, O Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. I think we could pretty much stop there. Like, I got up this morning and you want to talk about the most perfect weather you've ever had in your life. The sun was up, chickens were just happy pecking insects, and I'm like, that song pops to my mind. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. His eternal power and his divine nature are clearly seen since the beginning. And that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today, and we'll move on to some other things I want you to see. In order, we, let's look at society for just a second. I wrote this down in a way that was clear for me, and I want to try to make it clear for you. But in order to restructure what we call nuclear, nuclear morality, that's like our core, our basis, um, which has changed, like especially in the last 10 to 15 years. And I think back when I was a kid, which is going to make me sound older, um, but we said the Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, we talked about God on school. This is a public school. You don't do that anymore. So in order to restructure the nuclear morality, you have to simultaneously push an agenda or multiple agendas contrary to the word. While at the same time you uproot God's existence or his existence. Then people will buy anything. They'll even believe that what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. 
And that's kind of where we're at. So the problem with that, even though it seems really intelligent and they came up with a great master plan to uproot God and try to push things, is you can't do it because God's in everything. You can't deny him. God is ingrained in every single thing, even the stars. How many times have you been walking out to the Morton building or going out to shut the water off in the garden you forgot to turn off or something you had to do at night and you're not thinking about anything and then you just stop and look up and you're like, look at the stars. And there's times I'll grab the girls and say, look up at the stars. In Genesis 1.16, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. So when you're awake, I mean, what in the world makes the sun work? The thing should burn us up. Right there, God's evident. God is there. And then at night we have this moon, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, but the stars are ridiculous. And he put it there so that we would know good and well he was there. How about the trees? We're getting ready to go into fall. And the trees, man, when winter gets over, I am so ready for green tired of looking at gray, but the leaves are going to fall off and in due season, guess what? They're going to come back again. God is there. The rise and falls of the oceans and the life within. We were just in uh, Dauphin Island, Alabama, and I was always worried about these jellyfish you can see in the water. Um, I think a few of us got stung. It wasn't terrible for me. But did you know jellyfish move with the changes in the moon? Like, I, part of that's confusing because supposedly they can't swim. They just kind of move, but they follow the moon. Everything's interconnected. Tell me God's not there. I will have a little bit of a bend as I speak with you today to talk a little bit about the body. And it's not it's not because um, I want to educate you on the body or because that's my sole focus. But I'll tell you what, as I went through school and the more I learned about the body, the more I could not, you cannot deny a creator. So one of the classes I took was embryology, which is a study of infant development or fetal development. Um, you cannot deny there's a God. I mean, we're talking about liquids and enzymes that activate and develop this nothing into something. And then this something ends up coming out with ten fingers and fingernails on the end of the fingers and eyes that perceive. And when, when the eyes are, were designed by our creator, they see something upside down and switched in the brain. That's how it feeds. But by the time it comes in, it's turned it right side up and left to right so that it can see things and focus. And your skin is like the greatest touchpad ever. I mean, we are so impressed with these little iPads. But your skin, I mean, if I touch you anywhere, you're going to know exactly how hard I'm pushing, what it feels like. Is it hot? Is it cold? When you're a little bitty infant, you have 32 vertebrae. When you're an adult, you only have 26. So you're only born with one curve. That's this, this curve. But as you sit up and move, God knew that you would need these, these, these springs, these shocks to absorb everything that moves. And so you develop more curves naturally. And then as you do that, your body fuses and you only have 26. There's a bone in your kneecap called the patella. It's a sesamoid bone. It's, the, it's a bone that you're not born with. You just have a tendon there. So if you're under three or your child is, push on their knee, there's no bone there. But as you, as you develop, God made it so you develop bone there. Tell me there's no God. Then our nervous system, which is ridiculous, and I'm going to throw some big words out here so you guys think I'm really smart. 
But that whole spine really, I mean, it was made simultaneously for motion, but then also to protect the central nervous system. So we have the autonomic nervous system. And thank goodness, because otherwise you would have to think every time you breathe. I forgot to breathe. So no blonde jokes here. Um, you have the peripheral nervous system, which we kind of talked about. That's your, your sensory and your touch. The sympathetics, which if I was to scare you out by your barn at night, that would activate your fight or flight. So increase heart rate, breathing, anxiety, blood pressure. And the flip coin is peripheral nervous system, which is the growth, maintenance and control of all the cells in your body. God knew what he was doing. Your body is made up of 100 trillion cells. Every three minutes, 300 million cells die. But don't worry, because every day you make 300 billion new cells. Your body is constantly repairing and rebuilding yourself. Some of you not so well, but still, God is there and God is good. The brain is mostly made of 80% water. So when I preach all the time, drink water, drink water, it's because I want you to be smart. But also it has some fat and stuff like that in there. Nerves travel, believe this or not, at 170 miles per hour. Yet the brain only uses as much energy or less than a 10-watt light bulb. Tell me there's no God. Tell me that that just happened, a protozoa or amoeba or something, and you have this gradual, like, we can't even discuss it. If that's where we're at, I can't even talk about it. The human heart creates enough pressure to squirt blood 30 feet. This pressure is needed to pump blood through 60,000 miles of veins and capillaries. 60,000 miles of veins and capillaries. The heart pumps six quarts of blood circulating three times every minute. And in one day, your blood travels 12,000 miles. Tell me there's no God. So now take a deep breath. Everybody breathe. Okay, let it out. I got that from John. There you are. Your lungs alone have the surface area of the size of a tennis court. This large surface area allows us to pull in oxygen and then push it out to all the cells. Did you know bacteria, viruses, parasites, microscopic organelles cannot live in the presence of an oxygen-rich environment? So not only did he know that you needed that oxygen, he also knew you were going to contract things that you needed to kill. So he's working all the time. And we see that in Scripture. That's how God works. And then finally, just to put a stamp on it, he gave us this thing called an innate intelligence. It's designed and it's grooved and ingrained into us. And you see this every time you fracture a bone, you skin your elbow, your finger, you cut yourself, you burn yourself. Instantaneously, the body is healing itself. I mean, I remember sitting in my shop and making something for somebody, and I just broke that razor blade end off and skinned all my fingers. And I look down and I go, well, I get a chance to see God do a miracle, because in a couple of days, it's gone. Tell me there's no God. These are all miracles, ever-present, defining the eternal power and the divine nature of God. So the very last thing I want to do concerning the body is I want you to look at your fingernails. I've been obsessed with my fingernails, not because they're pretty. And some of yours are probably pretty banged up. I bet some of you are even missing a finger. But look at your fingernails. How do those things grow? Like, think about it. I can tell you the anatomy of it. It's broken up into like five parts. But how, how do they grow? Is there like a neurotransmitter? Is there like an activating enzyme? What releases it? 
And I thought, you know what? Let's take a moment today and establish a monument. Okay? If you look at Genesis with Jacob and Samuel with Kings and Second Kings and so on and so on. You remember in the Old, Old, Old Testament they built monuments. So you would remember what God had done. So we're going to make a monument today. So on these ten fingers, you have these fingernails, and they're for protection. God said, I'm going to give you fingers, but every time you are a dummy and you smash your finger, I want you to just break that fingernail and then it'll regrow. He also made it so you could pick things up. You had the security, this fine motor skill and for sensory input. And they're all there. So every time you look at your fingernails, you smash a fingernail, your fingernails are split, you cut them, you paint them, hopefully not the guys. Remember your God. Every time you cut them. Let that be a living, established monument so that God is more present in our lives. All of this, this whole long conversation, which I think was necessary, was because I was led, I don't even know how many years ago, but it was in the last six years, I was led to the realization that there is no such thing as an atheist. What we have are people who are just unwilling to submit control and surrender to a God who has a plan for them and who desires a relationship with them for whatever reason. And the reason that this is important to realize, that you cannot deny that there's a God. If they do it, it's for another reason. They already know he's there. You cannot deny a God. And what is important about that is the fact that it makes... Have it, has anybody ever been in a church and they think, we're going to do some street witnessing? Anybody? I mean, I'll tell you what, years ago, if you said, we're gonna, I think, man, that sounds really, really good. I'd like to do that, but... Like, that makes me kind of sick to my stomach. Just street witnessing. And once I realized that there are no atheists, everybody knows there's a God, it's so much easier. Because I just speak to everybody like they know who God is. And sometimes I use the word Lord, and I think they're thinking I'm some television show or something. But it's not that difficult. It, it doesn't even honestly have to be the, the Romans road. And you have this memorization, then you're worried, did I, did I do it right? Guess what? You will say the right thing to the right person at the right time. And this just popped in my head, and I just want to share this. I probably did last time, and that's okay, but Chloe's sitting right there. But, you know, God said, you know, if you say you're going to pray with somebody, pray with them right there. And don't say, I'll pray for you, and then walk out and forget. And I remember praying with the... With the uh, Amazon guy, who was kind of a strange guy with a ponytail, and, and you know, how do you, you get to take somebody who doesn't necessarily have a relationship with Jesus or with God right to the throne of grace in that moment? And I remember looking back over my shoulder and seeing Chloe looking out from the window, either Chloe or Claire, was it you? Yeah, looking out through the window. And I thought, man, that, thank you, Lord, because that blessed me. Her seeing me do the right thing, but also this guy whom I, I became kind of friends with. Um, it also looks like this. Um, how are you doing today? What is the Lord doing in your life? I am the slowest chiropractor in town because he keeps telling me like somebody will walk in, I'll shut the door and I'll say, what's the Lord doing in your life today? And they'll, sometimes I'll step back and go, you really want to know? And I go, wouldn't ask if I didn't. And I mean, if they start talking about God, I'm sitting in my chair. And I'm sorry if you're waiting, it might be another 10 minutes. Eventually, I'll try to get him out the door. But, you know, it's not hard. And and 
standing here, if, if there's a full-time pastor standing here, he has a high calling to, to, to share the word of God, to study, to, to live at, at a certain level, to be above reproach. Um, but guess what? You have that exact same calling to share the word of God and to study, to live at a certain level, to live above reproach. We are all pastors. We all have that same calling. You don't get, he gets tier one and you can live at tier three. It's not how that works. So the question is, where are you at? Where are you at with sharing God? Have you developed your own way of doing that? Has he given you your unique approach? And do you do it consistently? What then, what then does the Bible say to do with this? In James 4, 7, put it simply, Submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil. Come near to God and he will come near to you. There is a, a glorious, fulfilling and purposeful, purposeful life ready for one who submits to the Father, who draws close to him. But in order to tear that veil, in order to gain access to that new covenant, in order to establish that new covenant, God knew you would need a way. There has to be a way. Because you remember, and I'll get to that in just a second, he, he already knew that the scales weren't balanced. They were, it wasn't going to work. You can't walk into the presence of a holy God without balancing those scales. So John fourteen six, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. So to those, we can't assume and we want to talk, but to those who don't know Jesus, we don't want to pound sin to death, but the fact is, Romans 6, 3 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're unbalanced and we're kind of in trouble. But there is hope. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how can you, one of the, you remember that book, that famous book that went around called A Purpose Driven Life? Everybody read it. We as people need purpose. We have to have purpose. And we are, we are, it is ingrained in us to desire a relationship with the Lord. You are so lost. If you don't know Christ and you don't have purpose. So to gain that purpose, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I want to get back to that, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I know many of you have already done that. And I guarantee by sheer ratios and numerical values, there are those of you in here who have not. But I want to focus on that word, Lord, for a second, because I think we skip over it. We don't quite grasp what that means. Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So let's go back that verse. Uh, if you finish it out, it says, since we have now been justified by his blood, the scales are eternally balanced. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And there's exclamation marks at the end of that. And then he goes on and he says, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through life? More exclamation marks. What does reconcile mean? Reconcile in my mind before I was reading about it in, in its scriptural context is kind of like putting something to rest. 
reconciling. So if you have a bad relationship with your father and you finally put it together, like it's, it's, you put it to bed, it's good. But here it's more about change. Um, your hope, your allegiance, who do you follow? What do you hope in? That, those are the, the two biggest questions I think that we need to ask whether we are, I try not to use these terms that not everybody would get, like believe, whether we're believers or whether we're followers, whether we're saved. Because, you know, we take for granted that everybody gets that. But you have to ask yourself frequently, who do you follow? What do you hope in? I know personally myself, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, like it hit me. I was that guy. We all know that guy who says I can get anything done. Like if I want to do it, I can do it. You know, it's whatever it is, whether it's building a business or whether it's it doesn't matter. I can get it done. I can just put my nose to the grindstone and do it. And who do I hope in? And then the fact is, it doesn't you don't really matter. What matters is, are you hoping in Jesus Christ and are you following him? That's it. Have you truly declared that you are done, that you are less, that he is more, that you are backseat? I got this vision of backseat. I kept using it when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. And I, we, we, we recently went on a trip. The trip took a day longer than I wanted to. We went through a town I didn't want to go to, which was called Memphis. I said, I don't want to stay there. We stayed the night there. We drove out. And my wife says, let's stop at the record store. And I just want to be home. No, we should just go to the record store. And you know what? I was the lord of that car right then. And I put my earbuds in and my hands on the wheel and I never said another word. I just kept driving. But that's, I jest a little bit, but really, backseat is backseat. Like, you don't have any control. And that's where we need to be with Jesus Christ. I, last time we talked, and it was, I think it was graduation Sunday. And so when we talked to the young kids... But this applies for all of us. Like, if you're backseat and Jesus is in charge, there is no worry. Like, who cares? Because you're doing the right thing. When you, all you got to do is show up. Today, all I had to do was show up. It doesn't matter what I prepare, what I plan. He will do what he wants to do. And that's the way a day's work is. If Jesus is in charge and he gives you a task to do, and you put your feet on the ground and said, God, walk with me, there's nothing to worry about. If something doesn't happen, it's, if you're late, if you, if you take the wrong turn, he's doing something. Just let him do it. You are, you are less and he is more. You are backseat. You are submitted to Jesus Christ who paid the price and he is Lord. You guys understand what that word Lord is? So I'll quit beating it to death. Like, I think that we just say, if you confess it with your mouth that he is Lord. Like, okay. But... I had a salvation experience at the age of like somewhere around 17. And it was one of those typical like evangelical, you know, like scare you right down the aisle and you aren't sitting there unless you. But there was I don't remember the discussion that even though you can't earn this free gift. That you have there is a transaction that takes place. And that transaction is that you confessed he's Lord. You surrendered your life to him. He will lead you from that point on. And I'm going to get to another point, but before I do, it's important to grasp that, that he is Lord. You have bowed a knee. 
He controls everything. He leads, he teaches, you follow, today and forever. So, let me go back here. I want to think about it for a second. I want to read this. If you guys want to look at it with me, go to Revelations. We're going to look at Revelations 3.1. I did a study a couple of years ago on Revelations. And this guy gave me this amazing book. It was like 400 pages. And it literally piggybacked every single verse in Revelations. And what, the reason I did that was somebody said, you know why most people don't read Revelations? And I was like, no. He said, it's because the devil doesn't want you to. It's the end, it's the end story. He loses. So we all stay away from Revelations because it's weird and it's kind of cosmic and it's some of it's a downer. But these verses, there's two verses in here that followed me. And I know at one time in my life I was guilty of it and God did a work in me. And so when I say that people are sitting in the pews and they're guilty of it, I'm not pointing my finger because I've been there. You know what I mean? And so let's look at verse three. I'm sorry. Revelation chapter three, verse one. It says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief And you will not know at what time I will come to you. And the picture I got when I read that was, we all know that guy or that girl that is super charismatic. They walk in the room and you're like, you're happy to see them. They command the room. They have, they're, they're, they're fun and they're, they're funny and, and all these things. And they go to church and they sit in the pew and, and, they, they're, maybe they're involved or they're not, but like you're like, that guy's got it together. Like, they've got it. That's the guy he's talking about right here. He's talking about the guy that everybody doesn't expect to be that guy. And he's saying, wake up, because I've searched your deeds and you come short. Don't be that guy. And you know if you are. I knew that I was. Let's look at the second one, which is kind of in the same lines as chapter 3, 15 and 16. I think I've got it outlined here. There we go. I know your deeds that you are neither hot. I'm sorry, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Don't be that guy. Like, that's what we're talking about. We talk about Lord. You can't. You can't. You can't confess with your mouth. And commit to following Christ and be lukewarm. He did, that, this, those two tracks don't work. I'm thinking I'm missing something, which is why I'm... Think about this for a second. Um, how much do you really know about Jesus? That's the interesting thing, is we've confessed... That he's our Lord, but how much do we really know about Jesus? Like if I said, well, you know, list some characteristics, we probably all could. But I said, now give me a story or an example. Like I can give you a lot of stories about several people here in the congregation. Or if I have a friend, I can give you a lot of stories about them because I know them. 
But how many stories can you really give me about Jesus? How much do we really know? Or have we accepted the fact that he's just mysterious? You know, he's a savior, but he's just mysterious. When was the last time that you were excited to tell a story about what you learned about the Lord of your life? When did that lead? When, when, when couldn't you wait for somebody who could relate to walk in the door and share a story? Or let me ask you this. When you get together as church members outside of church, okay, friends, a meeting, it doesn't matter what it is. When you get together, do you concern yourself with gossip about another member or about another person? How much do you discuss the Lord of your life? How much do you talk about that? How he has changed you? Remember this. As we... Actually, let me read this to you. Church is made up of imperfect people. Right? Anybody here perfect? We're all kind of a mess. Church is made up of imperfect people who have been justified so that they can serve a perfect God and follow a perfect Savior. So here's your sin now, a mission, to find out more about this Lord, to find out... uh, Lord, that you've reconciled to follow. Who is he? How did he handle adversity? How did he handle people? Who did he hang out with? How did he serve? Who did he serve? Become less so that he may become more. I'm going to have you bow your, your head. You don't necessarily have to close your eyes, but I want to ask you some questions. So we won't look each other in the eyes for just a minute. To those of you who sit here and wonder, you know, have I got there? Do I know Jesus? I will encourage you not to grieve the Holy Spirit. If he calls, answer. If you don't answer, you start to lose the ability to hear him. So do you know Jesus? Secondly, to those of you who do, who is your Lord? Who do you follow? I'm not talking about a conversation you had three months ago. I'm not talking about when your feet hit the ground every single day. Who do you follow? Who leads you? Where is your hope? Again, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. If he's telling you you need to step up and follow, then step up. And if you just need more fuel, a restoration of your joy, of your salvation, a purpose, a passion to systematically know who Jesus is, then let's do it. Again, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's calling you to something greater than you have today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God. You have a purpose for every person that is here today. You had something to accomplish in each person that's unique to them. I ask that you'd open their hearts to ponder it, to think about it, to make a decision, to put it to action, to seek out who Jesus is, to walk with him every single day so that they can... Not stay the same lukewarm, but actually project themselves forward into something greater so that you can utilize them in a greater way. I'm thankful for each soul here. I'm thankful for the time that we have, and I ask that it would be useful and a blessing to you. In your name, amen. So real quick before I... Uh, I'm going to give you a challenge that I, I love to, to give people. Um, And it's a challenge I give to myself and sometimes I forget about it and I have to do it again. But when you wake up in the morning before your feet hit the ground, before you start the day, it's easy to do two things. 
confess that Jesus is your Lord, which means you submit to follow him. And then right after that, ask God to walk with you and do it for 30 days. Confess Jesus is your Lord. Ask God to walk with you. And then when we talk again, let me know how it's blessed you. Thank you.